speaking into the void to find light speaking into the void to find our voices speaking into the void to find courage speaking into the void to find our brilliance speaking into the void to be the best version of ourselves speaking into the void because we can we are back again on another episode of speaking into the what the void hello 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 Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day to you all. I hope that you guys are enjoying this federal holiday. And if you don't have to work, kudos to you if you do have to work. Hey, it is what it is. This may just be a temporary situation. And one day you won't have to work on Martin Luther King Day, especially if you're a person of color. Quite frankly, if you're someone who's experienced any inequality, I know you don't want to work on this day. Because this is a man that did not stand for inequality. Um... But I'm not really here today to talk about Martin Luther King specifically. I am in a roundabout way, but not him specifically. I'm here to talk about like one of his speeches that just does not get as much acclaim as I have a dream. And I think the reason why it doesn't get the acclaim that um, I have a dream has is mainly because we can look at I have a dream and say, oh, we've made progress. We've done better. And I'm not even I'm not even going to put that voice on because it's not necessary. Like, it's just not. Um, the fact of the matter is we like to look at I have a dream and say, oh, we have integrated schools and we have biracial couples and we have people of color coming together, blacks, whites, Latinos, Asians. We have all groups of people coming together, holding hands and saying kumbaya, even though we know that's not the case. We can show we can look at stuff and say progress. Like I said, we can look at the integration of schools and say progress. We can look at the integration of like the workforce and say progress. Mind you, men, Caucasian men make up like most of the positions, higher positions and people of color, especially women are typically in entry level positions. But we can still look at it and say, yo, you know what? It's better than it was 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago. And so I feel like that's why we always talk about I have a dream because it makes us feel like we've done something. But we don't talk about his speech, um, The Other America, or Two Americas, right? And to me, honestly, ever since I found out about that speech, maybe mid-2019, and I'm telling you, ever since I found out about that speech, like, it has been transformational for me. And I can I compare it to when I first found out about sociology. It wasn't as profound, but it did have that kind of impact on me. Like when I first learned about sociology and I could put a name to the equality that I'd been seeing for my entire life, it was revolutionary for me. It was monumental. I was like, dang, there are power schemes and there's the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. And I, I finally understood using words and was able to verbalize what I'd been feeling for most of my life. And so for me, that was revolutionary. And I compare reading this speech, hearing it, because the first time I ever um, encountered this speech, I actually listened to it on YouTube. And there is a version of this speech on YouTube. It's a little bit long. I'm not going to lie. Um, but it blesses your life. So I think it's kind of worth it. And especially on MLK Day, like, you're not going to work today. You ain't got nothing major to do. Like, you can play it in the car as you drive around. I would recommend that. Um, but I'm not going to go on too much i'm just going to read a little part from the speech and like i said this isn't these are not my words these are from martin luther king jr and this speech was um presented at gross point high school on march the 14th in 1968 bro in 1968 my mama wasn't born so i wasn't even a thought (laughs) but just to look at it and i want y'all to look at the parallels within your life and what he's saying and the fact that my mom's about to be what 42 i think 43 
and this was before she was born. So this was over 50 years ago, and not much has changed. And he started off and he said, I want to use as a title for my lecture tonight, The Other America. So that's the name of the speech, The Other America. And I use this title because there are literally two Americas. Every city in our country has this kind of dualism, the schizophrenia, split at so many parts and so every city ends up being two cities rather than one. There are two Americas. One America is beautiful for situation. In this America, millions of people have the milk of prosperity and the honey of equality flowing before them. This America is the habitat of millions of people who have food and material necessities for their bodies, culture, and education for their mind. Freedom and humanity, dignity for their spirits. In this America, children grow up in the sunlight of opportunity. But there is another America. This other America has a daily ugliness about it that transforms the buoyancy of hope into the fatigue of despair. In this other America, men walk in the streets of, in search for jobs that do not exist. In this other America, millions of people are forced to live in distressing housing conditions. In this other America, thousands of young people are deprived of an opportunity to get an adequate education every year. Thousands finish high school reading at a 7th, 8th, and sometimes ninth grade level. Not because they're dumb, not because they don't have the native intelligence, but because the schools are so inadequate, so overcrowded, so devoid of quality, so segregated, if you will, that the best in these minds can never come out. Probably the most critical problem in the other America is the economic problem. There are so many other people in the other America who can never make ends meet because their incomes are far too low if they have incomes and their jobs are so devoid of quality. And so in this other America, unemployment is a reality. So the vast majority of Negroes in America find themselves perishing on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. This has brought, caused a great deal of bitterness. It has caused ache and anguish. These conditions are the things that cause individuals to feel that they have no other alternative than to engage in violent rebellions to get attention. And I must say tonight that a riot is the language of the unheard and what is Amer and what it is America has failed. What is it, I'm sorry, that America has failed to hear? And I end the quote right there. Um, the first time I heard the speech, I'm not gonna lie to y'all, and I may be melodramatic. I am melodramatic sometimes, but the first time I heard this speech, I was driving on 35 West. I remember where I was. <laughs> I was in my car driving on 35 West. Um on my way home from school. And um, I'm not going to lie to you, thinking about it kind of makes me want to cry a little bit. Then I don't know. It kind of does make me want to cry a little bit thinking about it. Um, but I remember I heard his words and it just resonated with me. I was like, this is crazy to me how real this is for me in 2019 at the time. I was a senior in college. Most of y'all know I recently graduated, so I was a senior in college. I was lifting every weekend, sometimes midweek, taking five classes, and just trying to freaking graduate. Literally, I was I'm just I was trying to graduate. And I saw the parallel because and this is not to bash anybody that was in my major or anybody that I was in classes with, but I saw the parallel where some kids literally like their biggest issue was 
we had a professional organization in my major called Nishla. Um, and it's for speech language pathology and audiology students. I really don't remember what the acronym means because I didn't go to the meetings for Nishla. I think I went to one meeting and I never went back. And I remember like some of the girls, like their biggest concern was like what they were gonna contribute to Nishla and how they were gonna volunteer in grad school applications. At the time, bro, I was worried about how I would pay my car note and how I would pay my insurance. And how I was going to afford gas to keep coming to class these four days that I had to be in another city because I couldn't afford an apartment in the city that I was going to school to anymore. You get what I'm saying? And that was my reality. And I was just like, this is crazy to me that this man that does not know that I would ever exist was talking about a world that was so similar to the world that I was living in. It was mind boggling to me. In all honesty, like, I was like, whoa, whoa, not much has changed. And honestly, I think more than anything, that's what made me sad. The fact that not much had changed. The fact that it was years later and these two Americas still existed. America where people have white picket fences. I drive for Lyft, y'all. Like, I drive through areas in Dallas that the houses are ridiculously big. These houses are housing one family. This is a home to one family. And these houses are ridiculously big. And then I drive through areas where I know that there are six or seven or eight people living in that one bedroom apartment. I was raised in a house with, what was it, my grandma, my three aunties, my mama. My mama had four kids. One of my aunts had one kid. The other aunt had three kids. So you do the math. That's eight grandkids. So that's eight children in total and five adults. No, four adults. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm not great at math. Um, my grandma, her three kids, and her eight grandchildren were raised in one house. I'm not going to say we're living in one room because we weren't living in one room. But until I became an adult, I did not have a room of my own. I never had a room of my own till I was an adult. I didn't have a bed of my own till I was 13. I shared a bed with my younger brother and praise God, like I know I was still fortunate because I knew kids where it was them, their dad, their mom, and cousins living on in one room, in one bed. I knew kids where the situation was so bad that at the crack of dawn, they would be outside. And you want, as, as a kid, I wonder to myself, like, why, why do they always come out of their house so early? Like, why y'all don't like y'all houses? Until I became older and I realized it's not that they didn't like their houses. There was no room in the house for them. Like, there was just, just enough room to sleep at night and come out in the morning. And I knew it was worse for other people because other people, they were sleeping on the floor. They didn't even have the luxury of being sleeping on the bed. They were sleeping on the floor. And so for me, it's just so crazy to look at it and still see these two Americas. One America where opportunity is flourishing. I told y'all this in an earlier episode. When I was in elementary school, I didn't know. I don't know why. I just didn't know that high school existed. I knew that you went to the sixth grade because that's where elementary school stopped. But I never thought about, like, high school. I never, like, I, I don't know why if this was a me thing or this was just the environment that I was raised in. And, again, 
I was raised with great parents and I didn't see poverty at the, I didn't know I was poor. Truth be told, like it's crazy. I didn't know I was poor till the world told me I was poor. And it's not because I didn't have wants and I didn't have needs. I really didn't have needs to that extent, but I had wants, but I just thought everybody else lived like that. So I didn't know I was poor till I got older. Um, but I, like I was saying, I didn't know what high school was till I was getting ready to go to high school. And then I lived in Jamaica at the time. And like, you have to take, like, y'all don't do SATs and stuff like that to get into high school here. Your parents kind of choose a high school that you go to, or you just go on to the high school that's closest to your house. Back home, it's a different thing. When I lived in Jamaica, it was a different system. Like you test into high schools and depending on the academic grade that you have and the student level that you are at, that's how you get into a high school. And I didn't think of that till I was in the sixth grade. Honestly, high school was not on my radar till I was in high school. And then I got to high school and I got to a great high school and I had great experiences and great opportunities. But even in going to that high school, it was the them and us. And I didn't even go to a rich high school. Like I went to a decent high school, it was a middle-class high school, great academic program. But it wasn't like the creme de la creme. It was a great school, one of the best, but it was not the best, right? And I remember there were girls at the time like that got lunch money. When I was in the seventh grade, I still wasn't getting like actual physical cash to go to school in the seventh grade. In the seventh grade, you're like 13, 14, no, 13, 12. And I wasn't getting actual cash to go to school, right? I was not getting physical cash to go to school. I was getting like a lunchbox in the seventh grade. And it hit me, I was like, yo, people get money, money? Like moms and dads are shelling out cash to give to their kids to go buy food at school. What is that? Like, I, I couldn't relate to that. I think I started getting a lunch money in the seventh grade when I brought it to my mom's attention. I was like, yo, I get a lunch every day. Can I have money? And she was like, I just don't have that much money. And I think at the time, my lunch money was like $150 Jamaican, which is like translated here, it's like a dollar and fifty cents. But if you think about it, how the money really transfers and how what it's worth out there, that would be me like me getting maybe two or three dollars for lunch money a day. Roughly two dollars. If you think about what the value of two dollars here is in the States, think of it that I was getting two dollars a day for lunch money. So the best that you can do with two dollars is buy a bag of chips and a soda. That that was it. And so I never, I people would ask me, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want? And I would say I wanted, I remember from the seventh grade to the ninth grade. So when he says in this, and my point in saying all this is when he says in this, um, that there's dignity for the spirit, but there's another America. This other America has daily ugliness about it that transforms the buoyancy of hope into the fatigue of despair. And um, I'm not just making this about America. He spoke about specifically America, but I'm talking about the duality of just being the poor versus the wealthy. And when I say wealthy, I don't even mean that you're you balling, balling. I just mean you comfortable. So don't take offense and don't be like, but I'm not rich. I'm not Bill Gates. And this is not to cast blame on anybody. This is just, I feel like it's MLK Day, and I'm just sharing my thoughts of how he has impacted me. Right? And when he says um, fatigue and despair, um, I remember when I was in like the seventh and the ninth grade, people asked me, what do you want to be? What do you want to be? What do you want to be? And as a kid, I always wanted to be a pediatrician. And the reason I wanted to be a pediatrician is because 
I heard one of my other cousins say she wanted to be a doctor, and we were super close. And I was like, if she's going to be a doctor, like, I guess I want to be a pediatrician because I want to be doing what my cousin does, and I wanted to still be close with her as adults. And that's how, you know, it's kids' logic. So maybe from the seventh through the ninth grade, I said I always wanted to be a pediatrician. And then I got to the ninth grade, and I kind of sucked at sciences, and I realized I loved literature, and I loved books, and I loved reading. I'd always loved reading. And I loved how the characters in my book, like, they just had endless possibilities. And as, as an, even as a 14-year-old, I didn't know why I liked reading that much. Even at 14, I didn't realize. I liked reading because their lives looked different from mine. Like, they weren't boxed in by just the experiences that they'd had and people around them had had. And by this time, like, I'd been, I'm American by birth, and I'd been traveling back and forth between America and Jamaica, and quite honestly, even when I went to school here, it was the same. Like, I'm being in the fourth grade, and I'm jumping around. Y'all, I'm so sorry. I'm hopping from point to point, but stick with me. I remember I was in the fourth grade, and it's ironic that I went to a school called Martin Luther King Jr. Academy. It was predominantly black. It was a charter school, and it was predominantly black. Um, I think we had a few Hispanics, but most, for the most part, it was black. And I had a fourth grade teacher. Her name was Miss Frederick. Bro, I still remember this lady's name. Her name was Miss Frederick. And she knew that I'd moved. I'd, she knew that I'd been moving back and forth between America and Jamaica, America and Jamaica. And she knew that it was a difficult transition for me. And honestly, I think that kind of made it worse that she knew. Um, because, yo, those kids used to rag on me so hard for being different. And this lady did not, I guess she kind of, she just told me, assimilate, assimilate, assimilate. In my fourth grade mind, I knew she had good intentions. Um, for her, her thing was just be more American and you won't have an issue. And that's my problem. And I think that's the point that he was getting at. A lot of times when people think about wealth, and growth and prosperity they tell you oh just just do better like work harder and like you'll make it like my parents came here with nothing and now we have a fortune 500 company and they don't acknowledge that they had certain innate privileges i sounded different regardless of the fact that i was american i sounded different the way i dressed was a little bit different and maybe i looked in retrospect looking back at photos i may have looked a little bit different than the other kids i was way skinnier than practically everybody else in my class and it wasn't because I wasn't a healthy kid it was just I wasn't taking in the chemicals that are in American food so my physique was different right and she kind of tried to tell me she was like you have to be more social and you have to talk to the kids and I still had an accent and I didn't like talking because I sounded different and the kids laughed and I said certain words different and I spelled I'd never had an issue with spelling before this but I spelled atrociously because I would spell words like color with a U instead of an O-R. Not realizing that, yo, because of the history of America and Britain, our spelling is different. I, I'm nine. I don't freaking know this. Like, I, I just don't know this. And she kind of was trying to be cool about it. But I think it was counterproductive. She was telling me to assimilate. And I remember the entire year that I was in that school, I did not strive academically. I did not because for the entire year that I was there she never tried to like reach me at the level that I was and say hey how can I help you she didn't 
she just kind of was like, yo, be more like the other kids. Be more like the other kids. Be more like the other kids. And I think that's what we do a lot of times when we look at the two Americas. There's one side that's saying, hey, work your ass off. Like, do what you got to do and you'll make it. But I can tell you from experience that people graduate with college degrees and still can't get a job. I have a friend right now that just got a job that um, he's overqualified for. He is and making less than I know he deserves, and I know he knows he deserves a lot more than they're going to pay him. But he's applied for over 300 jobs. So this job is offering him a check. What is he going to do? Be like, yo, I deserve better? He went to college for the required four years. He did damn good. Like, he made the dean's list for, for as long as I've known him. He's been making the dean's list, and I've known him for over two years. And he's been on the dean's list every semester for as long as I've known him. So it's not that he's not academically inclined. He's made it into great grad school programs. But it's not that he's not smart. And he does have a college degree. But he's a black man before he's anything else. And so he's applied to 300 jobs. And now he's going to be hired at a job. That's a decent job. But I'm telling you, if he was somebody else, he would have got better pay and a better position going into this job. And so when you look at it, when people are constantly bombarded with this, I understand how the fatigue turns to despair because it's like, yo, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, and I can't make it. Like, I'm doing everything that y'all niggas told me to do. And pardon me for using the N-word. I know it's based, and I know we can do better, and I know I can do better. So apologize if I do say the N-word. I'm working on stopping. I'm not there yet. But you know that you've jumped through all the hoops that they've asked you to jump through, and you still can't make it. He says people are leaving, and the quote, and when the expert, there's a line in there where he says, in this America, let me try to find it, y'all. Every, every year, thousands finish, it says, in this America, every year, thousands finish high school reading at a 7th, 8th, and sometimes ninth grade level. And when I listen to some of these rappers, and I'm not going to call anybody's specifics name, but when I listen to some of these rappers, I like to watch Vlad interviews and, um, there's this um, guy that interviews people on YouTube. I forgot what his name is. I'm going to try to see if I can find him in my YouTube history. But there's this guy that interviews rappers on um, YouTube. And a lot of the times, like, a recurring topic that comes up in most of these interviews is, like, the fact that they had such inequality. DJ Small Eyes. That's his name. DJ Small Eyes. And he interviews, like, a lot of rappers. And a, most of them talk about the same thing the depravity that they were raised with, the depravity that they were raised with, the depravity that they were raised with. There's this one rapper, his name is 30 Deep Grimy, and he said he's been a felon since he was 17. And when the guy said, like, why, why you had a job? Like, he was like, yo, I was working a legit, legit job and still hustling on the side. And the guy's like, why would you do that? Like, why would you jeopardize your job? You had a job. And he was like, yo, the check that they were giving me was not covering my knees. I couldn't cover a roof over my head. I couldn't keep food in my belly. I couldn't live comfortably with the check that they were giving me. I live in the state of Texas. Our minimum wage in the state of Texas is $7.25, y'all. The minimum wage in the state of Texas is $7.25. If you struggle with math like I do, yo, pull out your calculator and do $7.25 times 40. The typical work week is 40 hours a week. 725 times 40 hours a week, that's $290 times four weeks in the month. That's $1,160, right? And that's before taxes. The average apartment in Texas, if you're trying to live somewhere that's not 
too bad. You can probably get an apartment for $600, yo. Take $600 out of that. You're left with $560. If you got a car note and you're under 25, let's just, if you are got a car note and you're under 25, like that note is high as hell. I'm telling you from experience. You don't have to have any accidents for your car note to be $300. You just got to be under 25, right? That's a whole $300 already guard on a car note because how many of us can afford to buy a cash car? Then you got to insure that car, right? You again under 25, so your insurance is ridiculously high. I'm going to be kind and say your insurance is $200, right? You left with $60. Now you got to still pay electricity out of that $60, put gas in that car out of that $60, Feed yourself out of that $60, and God bless you if you got some kids, because that $1,160 is a wrap, and I was being kind. I took, I didn't even take taxes out that $1,160, right? And so he said it straight up. He was like, yo, what I was making couldn't make ends meet, so I had to hustle. I didn't have no choice. He did not have a choice. He felt like, yo, what was I going to do, starve to death? He even says earlier in the interview, he's like, his family situation wasn't the best, and at 13, you can't fill out no job application. And I'm quoting. He said, at 13, you can't fill out no job application. And he's not wrong. At 13, he really couldn't fill out a job application. And if his family situation was really messed up, if it was a case where, like, yo, his parents, I'm not saying his parents are on drugs. I don't know what his situation was. And maybe he had good, upstanding, law-abiding parents that just couldn't afford certain things. He couldn't apply for a job and bring in some income into that house. That wasn't an option for him. So what do these kids do? They turn to the streets. And when you turn to the streets, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to end up with the felony. You're going to end up with the record. If you are out here hustling every day, I doubt that you're going to have time to be over there studying for tests and doing homework. Like, you trying to make sure you eat. The last thing that is on your mind, and I can tell you from experience, trying to study when you're hungry, that's an uphill battle. That is a up hill battle there's this other rapper that he interviewed and his name was shorty shorty and he dropped out of school at 17 too and he said he was on the bus to school he was gang banging and he was on the bus to school and an adult said to him that how you gonna be a gang banger and be going to school every day somebody knows where you are every single day somebody can pull up on you this is the advice that we're giving to these kids right and i'm not saying this is the privileged part of america's fault I'm saying, stop making it seem like, yo, we've chose this life. When we have the level of wealth equality, inequality that we have, when we have the disparity in homes and the cost of homes, and we all know about gentrification. Like, I don't need to teach a lesson on gentrification. We have all seen gentrification in action. At some point, at some juncture in our lives, when we know that innately a white man, a white male American is just automatically more privileged to certain jobs, regardless of education, regardless of the fact that he has felonies, regardless of his background. I was reading, uh, watching a documentary the other day, and the guy said he was a felon. And he said, I am seven times more likely to get a job than a black man that has no felonies. With the same education level as himself, someone in the same educational bracket as him, he's seven times more likely to get a job than a black man with no felons. When I heard that, yo, that was just sad to me. I was like, what? Another example, a friend of mine does this um, after-school program on Tuesdays, right? And she had the first meeting with a new set of girls. 
and it's a new program and she said we we had talked about it we had brainstormed it we had points that she was going to talk about with the girls and da, da 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 and when she got there and just her account of talking to the girls and it's some girls some little black girls in the inner city community and the focus point for these girls was fighting and what made them bad and what respect stood for for them and what being bold meant to them and most of the connotation wasn't positive it was about fighting and being able to beat somebody else up that's what being bold meant to them when asked what being bold meant to them these are babies being bold meant to them fighting and having street cred where did they learn that and it's not and I, the, it's the fault of the parents to some extent but where did the parents learn it we are living in a society where black people from the day that they are born are forced to feel as though they're second-class citizens mind you we're born in the same hospitals we sometimes go to the same school sometimes we don't because i was again i like to read i'm sorry hazard of my personality i like to read and i was watching this documentary which led to me reading something else and it was a school i'm really trying to find the school if i could find the school y'all like i really 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 want to find the school because i don't want to just be talking and have y'all be like well can you tell us what school it was it was a video on youtube i can't even find the school crappity it was a school in 2019 that was still segregated so what's the school called was it orange county i think it was was it orange county y'all i think it was orange county i'm gonna try to find it i'll mention it in another episode of the podcast but the school they had two different schools in this city one was a private school and one's a public school and the public school was predominantly black while the private school was really white right and they made they had a little sit down with the public school and the private school students just to talk about the differences that they knew about each other and the fact that one boy said if he had never seen like he had gone to a school event a school field trip to college and he saw so many white people. He said he'd never seen that many white people in his life. And the city that he lived in was a mix of black and white people. But the city was so segregated that this little boy in 2019 had never seen that many black people in his life. Look at that and tell me how crazy it is. What does this have to do with wealth? The point of the, street, the speech was to Americas and the economic disparity. What does that have to do with wealth? Guess why these kids are leaving these schools with the 8th and the ninth grade reading level? Because the quality of education that they're receiving is subpar in comparison to going to a white school, in comparison to going to a private school, in comparison to going to a charter school, right? These schools are overpopulated. The teachers are overworked. And I volunteered in public school, so I could speak to this. I volunteered in public elementary school. And I'm telling you, the quality of education that they get is no fault of the teachers because they try their damnedest, but it's just not the same. It's not the same. You have international students coming in, being expected to learn at the level of the typical student, knowing full damn well that they can't because they can't even sometimes follow the language. I've been in a classroom where there was a Vietnamese kid and he was not provided a translator. He was not provided a translator. And they knew full well that his English wasn't the best, but he was still being asked to take standardized tests as though his English was the best without a translator. And then when this little boy doesn't do well, it's going to be, oh, he's not smart. And again, he even says it. And that's why I love this speech. Because he says it in the speech. 
he says it. He he said it has failed to hear the wait, let me go back and find it. I'm trying to find it, bro. And it says not because they're dumb. Not because they don't have the native intelligence, but because the schools are so inadequate, so overcrowded, so devoid of quality, so segregated, if you will, that the best in these minds can never come out. This little boy is being expected to take standardized tests in English when he speaks Vietnamese. And the teacher is expected to translate for him. A teacher that does not speak Vietnamese. A teacher that's never had to interact with anyone who is Vietnamese that doesn't that just does not have the Vietnamese experience is expected to pull from this little boy's mind his greatness his creativity his understanding of simple concepts when he may not even fully understand the language mind you the concept the concept may not be a struggle for him but he has that language barrier that he is struggling with so really, when we think of the two Americas, and he says it himself in the start of the speech, if you remember, he says the schizophrenia, the dualism, because within these two Americas are micro-Americas. Within these two Americas is the experience of the Latin kids, of the language barrier that a lot of Hispanic people face, that a lot of immigrants face. But there's also, and there is the plight of the average black man that does speak the language but is not given the resources that he needs as well as the plight of these people that have that language barrier or who have that cultural barrier who, or who just don't relate to the experiences that they're seeing playing out before them. And you have to think of it, it's like, yo, I'm in 2020 sitting on my couch realizing that, yo, not much has changed. But every year we get up and we celebrate MLK Day, which I think is a great day. And I think we have to keep celebrating because we have to keep... I feel like it bothers me to the point where sometimes I get tongue-tied. And I don't typically get tongue-tied, but it does because it's something that bothers me so much. That we are living in a country, in a world, where we celebrate great people like Gandhi and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. But all we do is, is to make us feel better. To make the side of America that has the means feel like, yo, I'm not so bad because I'm trying to do right. You're not really trying to do right if you're comfortable with the inequality that's taking place. If you're okay with seeing the way that the country is and the world is, we know right now we have the little situation. And I know I'm all over the place, y'all. I apologize. But we know about the conflict between Iran and America at the moment. We know. And I was at a racial um, seminar a week ago. I was volunteering with someone and shadowing them. And one of the ladies that was there said... Um, she made a comment and she said people are making memes about the war happening and we're so callous about it because the war is not happening on our soil. We're so callous about it because black and brown lives are the ones that will majority be lost, mostly in this case brown lives. And because we look at black and brown lives as disposable, it doesn't bother us. Even those of us here who are black and brown seem to be oblivious to the fact that even though the war is not taking place here and bombing isn't taking place here if we should go to war, lives are still going to be lost. People are still going to die. And overwhelmingly, brown people are going to die. It's as though we've mentally just been like, well, it's brown lives. It doesn't matter. It, it, it doesn't matter. So for me, it bothers me, the fact that we can celebrate days like these and not feel as though we're not doing enough because I feel like I'm not doing enough and I feel like if you're human 
and you see the inequality that's taking place, you should feel like we're not doing enough. When you see kids leaving high school and can't string together a proper sentence, I've seen fifth graders who can't. When prompted, what, what are you thankful for? Their sentences didn't make sense. And these aren't special education kids. These aren't kids that are struggling mentally. These aren't kids that are mentally retarded or anything of the sort. These are typical learning children whose paragraphs looked as though a first grader wrote them. This is the quality of education that we are providing to our children, predominantly our black and brown children, the children whose parents can't afford to send them to private schools, even though they know that they'll get a better quality of education in a private school. These, this is what we're giving to them. This is a legacy that we're leaving for them. And it just doesn't seem like we don't, it just seems like we don't care. It just seems as though we don't care. It just seems as though we're okay with it. As long as we can show the side of America that's doing well, it assages our guilt. It assages our conscience. It makes us feel like, well, if that side of Americans can do it, why isn't the other side doing it? While we go along and not acknowledge the fact that, yo, there is no equity. Ignore equality. How are we going to get to equality if we ain't got equity? We don't even have fairness. How can we be equal if we're not even being fair? Well, we don't acknowledge that we keep moving the goalposts, that we keep moving the finish line, that every time we say, yo, this is the mark for excellence, this is what you need to do, we move the goalposts. So now whatever you've accomplished no longer means anything because the standard by which we're judging you you are still 50 years behind because we've once again moved the goalposts. We just pretend like this is not happening. And one of the quotes that Martin Luther King makes, I don't remember, it's from in the letter, in, he wrote this letter in Birmingham jail in, on April the 16th in 1963. And it says, injustice anywhere is a, is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of dex of destiny whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly so when you're sitting there pretending that the fact that this america is striving negates what is happening in the other america you are fooling yourself this is a fallacy because whatever affects that america is going to creep up on your doorstep it's like the war on drugs when it was crack killing black people it didn't matter because it was black and brown people dying when it was coke in the black communities and heroin in the black communities, it didn't matter because it was black and brown people. Now that it's opioids and it's killing doctors and lawyers and white people and suburban moms and 17-year-old kids, and it's in your backyard, now it's a problem. Now it's not a war on drugs. Now it's a, oh my God, we need to help these people. And I'm not saying it's not a mental health issue. It was, no matter what I'm saying, it was always a mental health issue. It didn't become a mental health issue when white people were being affected by it. It didn't become a mental health issue when suburban moms start being affected by it. It didn't become a mental health issue when your kids were affected by it. It was always a mental health issue. Look at the gun violence situation. Black and brown people, ever since I've been alive, I can speak for myself, I was, I was raised in the hood. And for myself, I've always known that guns killed. I've always known that people get shot. And I've always had the reality that I would lose people due to gun violence. 
that's something that I just, I knew. I knew it ever since I was small, and I knew it now, and I know it now that I'm an adult. I recently lost two cousins to gun violence. But it didn't become a major headline issue until we started seeing mass shootings in classrooms and of babies and of little white kids. And don't, when I say this, I don't say this to say that anybody deserves to lose their lives to gun violence. That's not the point that I'm making. I'm trying to make the point that if it matters that white kids are dying due to gun violence, it matters just as much in the other side of America that black and brown kids are dying due to gun violence. It matters. Whatever is happening in one side will slowly creep over to the other side. So if at the end of the day you really don't care about black and brown people and if we die or live doesn't matter to you, think about yourself. Think about the fact that this could one day be on your doorstep. Think about the fact that my problem could very soon be your problem. And I'm going to shut up because this podcast ended up being a lot longer than I wanted it to be. And a lot more upsetting to my spirit than I planned on it being. Um, So I'm just going to leave you with this because Malcolm, the good thing about Martin Luther King, the great thing about Martin Luther King was that he wasn't a violent man, and he never preached violence, and he never wanted one side of America to hurt. He just wanted equality and equity. That's really all that man stood for, was equality and equity. And if we're going to make his life mean something, and if we truly believe that this day means something, because it does, and it has matter, and it has purpose, I beg of you to consider doing something different on this MLK Jr. Day. Not just posting quotes on your Instagram, not just wearing a black t-shirt, not just putting his face up as your caption or whatever else it is that you do, because that's great, don't get me wrong, but to challenge yourself to look at life from the side of the other America. If you're comfortable enough, your wealth and status and your needs are met, look at the side from, look at America from the side that this is not a reality for. And if you're on the side of America, where you're struggling and your needs are not met and you know need, wants, inequality as a constant in your life, I beg of you not to give up. Do not give in to the system that they've given to you, but create a system of your own. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that will require of you. And I'm not going to lie to you and say that it's going to be easy because it's probably not going to be easy. But you know what? You got two options. Struggle or fight, struggle and fight and die, or that's it. Literally, you gotta struggle and fight or die. That's your two options. Literally, you either struggle and fight and make it, and what make it looks like for you, I don't know, or you fold your hands and you give in, and you accept the world that they're give that they've given to us as the truth of it when it's really not. You got two options, bro. Live or die. Live or die. That's all I ask of you. That's the only thing I ask of you. I was looking for the quote that he says, um, where you don't, like, it's one about the death. I forgot, like, we, where he says, like, we die a little every day when we like don't speak of injustice i'm trying to find the quote i don't remember exactly what it is 
I'm gonna Google it, y'all, while I'm sitting here. It's from the, um, it's something she sent me, Die Little More. I'm trying to find it. I'm gonna try to look it up. I'm actually gonna, like, Google this because it matters this much to me. And I want y'all to... I want y'all to leave with this. I want y'all... It says, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. You matter. I'm going to say that again. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. That was the quote. You matter. So if you don't stand up for yourself and speak up for yourself and fight for yourself, it's the day that you start to die. And slow deaths, I think, are worse than fast deaths. I never actually die. But I'm just imagining that dying slowly each day and dying in silence is an excruciating death. It's not something that I wish on anyone. It's not something that I wish for you as a person. So fight for yourself. Fight for yourself. Fight for yourself because you matter. You are important and you matter. And on that note, y'all, I'm going to sign off. And I'm going to wish y'all a happy, happy MLK Junior Day. I don't even want to wish y'all a happy. I want to wish y'all a woke. I want to wish y'all a powerful. I want to wish y'all a life-changing. I want to wish y'all a equality-evoking MLK Day. And I hope that you go listen to The Other America. It's worth the listen, in my opinion. I hope that you go and I hope that you listen to it. But if you don't listen to it, I hope that you try to change America in some way today. Change the world in some way today. Push inequality further away from us in some way today. And welcome equality. And on that note, like I say, every time when I get off this podcast, I hope that today was better than yesterday was for you. I hope that you go forward and seize the world. I hope that you become the best version of yourself, the version of yourself that God intended for you to be. And I just wish you love, light, and happiness. Because why not? Everyone deserves love, light, and happiness. Every single one of us deserves it. So I just wish for you that love, light, and happiness that you truly deserve. Have a great one, y'all.